All right, we should be live. So uh, welcome, Sophie and Jens. It's great to talk to you guys. Appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Got a nice um, channel going. Uh, so I heard you say the other day when we were talking before that you've been doing it for just under a year. You're already at 1,000 subs, which is quite an accomplishment um, to get there that fast. That's really awesome. So you guys must be doing something right. I've seen a lot of like your news um, <laughs> news updates. They're very professional. The the uh, editing's really good, <laughs> and it's cool yeah. to see it for sorcery, of course. But do you cover? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your channel and talk about kind of like your background and interest in TCGs? Yeah, definitely. So I mean, we started the channel because we are really excited about TCGs and. We kind of figured let's try it out, but we hadn't really expected to get a lot of uh, feedback for it because clearly mm -hmm. we're both Danish, so there's definitely a bit of an accent. Um, so we had kind of expected that might be a challenge, but people have been super nice. We've had a lot of great response and slowly building a really great community, and that's that's really great because that's actually what we really enjoy is talking with people about nerdy stuff. So <laughs> it's been really cool to see the channel grow. Yeah, did you did you consider um, doing a channel in your native language, or does everyone pretty much speak English over there anyway? Yeah, we we kind of uh, you know considered it at some point, and then we also had some people telling us uh, maybe you should just do it in Danish. But there's not really that that many YouTube channels in Danish um, yeah. around, and those that are they are mostly just really small and and kind of dead. So we thought that if we actually wanted to do something about it, and and you know try to succeed we needed to do it in english even though it's not our native language yeah i thought i saw there was like a pretty decent amount of uh backers for sorcery in europe but what are the big games over there in denmark and some of the countries in your area i think it's pretty much like the same as the big three so Yu-Gi-Oh, pokemon yeah. and magic that's pretty much it um there's not a lot of like local variation here it's sort of the big three that's going strong and mm -hmm. yeah, so we always kind of wanted a bigger audience. Um, and then we kind of think that we just practice our English and hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, no, it's, it's very good. You guys speak pretty fluent, which is great. Um, a lot of the artists that I work with um, are not actually fluent in English. So we, we use translators over Facebook Messenger and things like that. So <laughs> it's kind of mixed, you know, some some are, some not are not. But so that's cool. So like, are you seeing a lot of the indie games pop up? Like uh, the other ones, I guess, what Cryptic and... What's the other yeah, one? Um, Grand I think people are talking about One Piece and Alpha mm. Clash. Those are some of the games that people are mentioning. Um, but I don't yeah. think our, our local game store is closing, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh. Um, so our like local environment is sort of like trying to figure out what to do right now. Yeah, so that's probably challenging for sorcery, I guess. There's only one, basically, one local store. Yeah, that's an and we're, for in, you. we're in sort of a, a smaller city. So mm. there's basically one, and then there's another one, but that's sort of a side hustle for that person. So he only opens, like, occasionally. Okay. So how did you, let's talk about, like, sorcery. Like, how do you even hear about it and decide, how did it uh, capture your attention, I guess, and your interest? You want to take that one? Yeah, but it was mostly you that discovered Sorcery. Um, you were just like, I've backed this game, and I think it looks awesome, and it has some of the old-school um, native artists from Magic the Gathering going way back, and it looks it looks really awesome, and has this hand-painted art, and I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. Let's see if it yeah. actually, you know, hits the market and becomes a thing. And then it was just, you know, majorly successful in the, kick, uh, in the Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you guys have, do you have a magic background? 
Yep. Did you already know some of the artists? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We both like played magic in what'll that be? Sort of like middle school for you guys, I think it is. Um, yeah. And played some magic back in the '90s, and then played sort mm -hmm. of on and off. And when we met each other, we were not playing, but we both had like a tiny magic collection. And then we mm -hmm. sort of like you know got our friends engaged with it, and we started back up again and started buying boxes and we pretty quickly discovered that magic was not what it used to be. I mean, yeah. the constant releases <laughs> and the art had changed and there was just, a, there's a lot of adjustment. And when I saw Sorcerer, like, okay, wow, that's, that's some gorgeous art. There's really a focus on taking it slow, getting to know the cards, you know, that really old cool nostalgia vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I played uh, magic as a kid too. And um, this was, I guess like early nineties. Um, so I was probably, yeah, or like a similar around middle school age, middle school here is, um, typically like either fifth or sixth grade through eighth grade. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like pre-teenage or right around like early teens, uh, I was playing with like kids in the neighborhood, but then my first year of uh, high school, um, my family relocated to another part of the country, another state in the U S here. And so I, like, I, I lost all my childhood friends in the process that I played with. So I actually... I, I never played a game of magic ever again since then. It's been like over 20, 25, I don't know, maybe closer to 30 years now. <laughs> oh, no. So, um, yeah. And then like when I started getting back into TCGs a few years ago, um, I don't know, it just wasn't, it didn't really appeal to me that much. I, I had no interest of getting back into magic. And then, um, but then when sorcery came along, it was like a similar type deal. I saw it was like a lot of the same, well, at least there's probably... I don't know, several of the original magic artists um, from Alpha Magic and then also like in the subsequent years. So those older vintage, like 90s era artists. So that's what first captured my attention. And like the artwork just looked incredible. It's just very striking. When I saw the Seer art by Dan Seagrave yeah, um, was a big one I was impressed with and Ancient Dragon. And of course, those two aren't magic artists, but <laughs> actually Dan's done like two two uh, cards, I think, yeah, for magic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I started recognizing the other names, you know, like Melissa Benson and Jeff Menges and, and Drew Tucker and everybody. And, um, yeah, so like that, that's what first caught my attention, but then like learning about all the other artists was really exciting. Cause they're, they're bringing something new and different. Like there's a lot of diversity and in, in styles and approaches and stuff. So like the first set feels like a full art collection unlike yeah, exactly. most games you see, you know, they're not, they're all like very different stylistically. So it makes for a nice, um, diverse collection. Yeah. And that's so. sort of, you know, old school feeling that every does, everything doesn't have to, you know, match. Everything can be different, but still cohesive mm. due to the full art and due to the whole, you know, card layout, but everything has mm -hmm. its like own specific look. And there's a lot of iconic pieces out there. I definitely think in the future, yeah. they will, it'll be definitely more iconic as time passes and people yep. have that sort of nostalgic vibe with it. Yeah, exactly. It's also, I think it's, it's kind of the appeal for me because, of course, we haven't tried to actually play the game yet, but hmm. it, it has some of the, the same nostalgia that Magic had, that you could just open up the packs and, well, when you when you were small, you just enjoyed the art and, and it just, it was so vivid and it just spoke to you. And I think I think the art I've seen from Sorcery so far has much of the same appeal to me. And and I'm also really happy to yeah, see, for example, uh, Melissa Benson, being mm. being back in the game, I think that's that's excellent. I loved her art in the early Magic days, her Nightmare or her Lord of Atlantis. Yeah, just exactly. some really iconic cards uh -huh. for me. 
Yeah. Definitely. So what about you? I mean, how did you sort of get involved with all this art stuff? Because I had written like yeah. an introduction for you in case we were oh. hosting it. And I was going to say that you're already becoming one of like the iconic figures within the <laughs> art scene for sorcery. So how did you go for just like picking up some art pieces or did you contact some artists or how did that happen? Um... So like I first heard about the game and then I got into the Discord. So I think the Discord was stood up around August of must have been um, 2021, I think it was August 2021. So it's been like, what, about a year and a half. Um, and then I joined like first week of September thereabouts, just like a few weeks into it. So I was fortunate to, to hear pretty early on and um, learned about Eric's background and Eric was like, very active in the discord at that at that stage so well he's still that time <laughs> yeah before the kickstarter the kickstarter madness um started up so i think i um i i don't know i just had the idea to like i wanted to um interview the artists and i wasn't doing like any youtube i just started youtube maybe like eight to nine months ago um and i figured like artists are very busy you know i don't i was i was looking on youtube i didn't see like a whole lot of artist interviews in uh video format um, just like a few channels that kind of specialize in that, but I figured it'd be probably easier for the artists to do like written Q and a style. Um, yeah. so I decided to like start with a website and I created that probably in, I don't know, latter part of 2021 or real early part of 2022. And then I, um, I was reaching out to a lot of the artists and said, like, I want to interview them. I started, I think I started with, um, actually the first one I did was true at parish. Who's like yeah. the youngest artist in sorcery, I think coincidentally. And then I started doing like a bunch of the magic artists because that was the initial appeal for me. And then I started expanding beyond that. But I think I've done maybe 15 or 16 written form interviews um, over the past year, year and a half. And I, yeah, I figured like if I just submit 10 to 12 questions to the artists, let them get back to me on their own time. And then like I would a common question I would ask is like, what are your artistic influences? And the written format um, lended itself well to that because then I would research all those like a lot of those artists, like a lot of their some of their influences I would have heard of and others I, I had not. So I would just start like Googling and learning about these artists and then I would hyperlink to all those. So, you know, written form creates a nice interactive um, option for that to kind of like expand beyond that so that was a lot of fun and then like i started um loving and getting obsessed with the artwork itself and then so i created this like artist bio page and i linked all of the social media platforms for all of the artists and a little bit about their background and then as i was going through their sites i was finding a lot of the sorcery imagery and there was some that like eric was like previewing at that time and then others i would just stumble upon from their social media and like in the early days, some artists were calling it Project Atlas. It was like a code name before yeah, the name Blue Sorcery yeah. was decided. Um, so I was like uncovering some by that. And then others just looked like sorcery like and uh, but they weren't officially confirmed. So I'd like start asking the artist or like Eric, I was like, hey, is this one in? Is this one in? Is this actually sorcery or not? And it was just a lot of fun. It kind of snowballed. And I built out this uh, Collector Art House website um, with all the like art, the um uh the artist interviews and then like the card listings because there was there would be like incremental releases of updated cards so it was kind of cool to see the design changes over time which you kind of see in the sample cards but then you also would see it through several uh tabletop simulator updates where the cards would change like really significantly like even the names of the cards or everything would change except the art obviously <laughs> and actually yeah. in some cases i think um there were like other artworks like swapped for certain cards. So it makes you wonder if there's going to be some alt arts and I don't know if there'll be much in beta, but maybe if there's a revise later is what I'm speculating. 
Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of really got into, into it and meeting a lot of the artists and getting to know them pretty well through the interview process and then just kind of keeping up with it and eventually getting into video and then um, working with them more formally to help kind of promote their brand and um, sell original paintings and special commissions and things like that. So, so, but this is yeah. still just like a side hustle. It's not something you're doing full time. Yeah, no, I have a full time job. So I just dude, how are you nights doing and weekends. all that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah, I just kind of like I, I'm kind of like obsessive over one or two things at a time. I like go all in on it, and I'm like. I don't know. Just when I'm passionate about something, I just find the time and put in put in the work. After the kids, I have I have young kids, eight, five, and one. So when they go to sleep, I have some time at night. Yeah, or I wake up a couple hours before them, and you know things like that. I do a lot on mobile. You know, Um, when I get some time away from the family, that's really the only way. I don't get to sit in front of my computer too often. (laughs) No, exactly. I pretty much am always on my mobile as well for, you know, different sort of discourse stuff or just editing videos or something, trying to sort of just find those little spaces of time where you can just work on a little something. Right. Yep. Yeah. So go ahead. Were you about to say something? You guys got a list there or something? Yeah, we do. (laughs) Okay. We have a big list of uh, questions to ask you. Okay. So, So we have covered how you got into sorcery. Um, where do you see the, the you know, this TCT sorcery going in the future? Uh, we know there's going to be Arthurian legends uh, for an like, sort of expansion, but uh, yeah. what, what kind of art do you think is going to be in future sets? Um, well, I, I did like a video about speculating about a heaven and hell or angels and demons type thing because it looks like I think it was hinted at in one of the Q and A's that the company had done, but. There's um, if you look at like the variety of art in the alpha set, you know, 400, a little over 400 cards, there's like pockets of like thematic things that seem like they'd be perfectly extensible for an expansion set. And like that was um, actually that was pretty obvious with uh, Arthurian Legends as well. When you look at like things like Holy Grail and um, there's the Black Knights uh, painting yeah, by Brian Smith sort of thing. Yeah, there's like certain things that just seems like very fitting and some of them actually stayed in alpha, which is cool. But then others like I think are pretty likely to slip like we don't know the full alpha set yet. There's still 35 cards or so, but I think like we have a pretty good idea of what those will be. Um, So that's like one. And then there's a lot of like devilish type um, themes and angelic type themes in the across the alpha set, too. So I think that could be a possibility. and like clearly like Eric likes the dark art with artists like Brian Smith and Dan Seagrave. And um, those are probably the big two that jump out. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, I'd kind of be guessing there was a Q&A where someone mentioned something about steampunk. And I know like Elvira Palakowska has done some work in that realm. It's kind of interesting. Like Vincent Pompetti has done a lot of Arthurian legends. So you could kind of look at the um, portfolio of work of the artists and maybe infer or speculate on like where he could take it based on those artists talents. I know he's going to add more artists, but I think a lot of the alpha artists are already working on the next one or two sets. So maybe that's a place to look for clues. If you go look at their artists websites and their social media and see what other kind of work they've done, uh, it might lend itself to guessing at some themes, but yeah, it's kind of cool how alpha doesn't have like a singular theme, but then he's going Arthurian legends, you know, like how magic did the alpha set was, generic or not like lore or theme based but then they had arabian nights i think was their first expansion that had a specific theme so there's like a lot of magic influences and there was like this other there's this magic channel that was revived um that talks about the history of magic 
and they go to in great detail with the alpha beta and unlimited set so i've actually been taking notes and going through that and i want to make a video that compares to sorcery's roots because there's like so many parallels it's unbelievable and i think yeah. eric's like really a student of magic as a old school magic player and is kind of taking cues from that to, to really capture that old school 90s vibe Ma not just magic but you know like dnd of dnd artists like jeff easley and alan pollock and tony sudlo and a few others so mm. yeah i don't know do you guys have any thoughts on themes beyond that that's it's my best guess at the moment. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know uh, at this moment, but yeah, maybe, yeah, you know, the Arthurian legends, of course, are going to come, but maybe we're also going to see some some more nature-oriented, you know, maybe some yeah. hills or something mm -hmm. from the Feywild if we're going to D&D &D kind of law or something like that. Mm -hmm. That could also be great. Yeah. Also because, yeah, there's all this, this grid you know, uh, kind of play and, and all these environmental decks and, and, and uh, you know, things you can do. Yeah, and the sites, you could get like a yeah. forest that lets you do something interesting. And I would always, I think also, you know, um, that might just be my day job speaking, but like some mythology theme thing, like mm. Roman Greek mythology, there are some Amazons in there, there are some sirens, there are like little hints already in Alpha that someone is very interested in mythology. I don't know if it's Eric specifically, or he just let the artist run with it, but there are definitely some things that could hint to doing like a mythology theme thing maybe even norse mythology that would be really <laughs> yeah, cool as so well. fun because dogla and uh, Sean oh, Scully yeah. just mentioned those uh, <laughs> yeah cool. those viking themes. themed yeah i'd love to see that that'd be really cool but i think um yeah with arthurian lore there's there's opportunities for forest type things i think with the i probably mispronounce it but the brosselin uh, for, forest i think it's called there's like a french forest or yeah. forest in france where there's like a lot of arthurian lore uh stem from and actually severin uh pignot is is from that area so she knows that very well and she's already done like some art in that realm um outside of sorcery you know and she's kind of like a nature artist as it is so she'd be a slam dunk for that yeah, and there's I a lot of great people. like landscape artists you know those atlas cards are awesome they're all they're all great in their own way yeah and, and i mean so. even though it's just such a little detail the whole thing about having them in the landscape form it really lends itself well to sort of those landscape artists being able to build something different and so it would be really cool to see something like that yeah, exactly. Also because landscapes are just so iconic. Uh, I think we all have maybe a favorite manner from the original magic set. Um, yeah. I, I remember just loving the mountains and the forests. And uh -huh. I could just, you know, spend days just looking at those manor and, and maybe it's it's something that, that gets gets lost at some point because now even though we have this this great art, uh, well, you kinda get more competitive when you're building decks and you just skip through lots of the art so i'm also looking forward to to having these curio cards and you know mm -hmm. being being forced a little to really look hard on all the art so you can just go back and enjoy the cards for being these great works of art that they are yeah it's pretty uh that's pretty brilliant concept and like I, I i've seen like a lot of the sample cards you know i've done like a lot of auctions of sample cards um for like consignment and stuff for people in the community. So like I've noticed like when I'm looking at the cards, I always discover something new that I didn't even notice looking at the digital version on the screen. Like even this latest one, Land Surveyor, um, on a, <coughs> you guys are in the Facebook group, you know, and Melissa Benson yeah, chimed exactly. in and was like, oh, I love that guy like standing on his toes, you know? And that's like something I didn't notice. Like there's the guy on the horse and then there's like the, the guy standing next to him, like standing on his tippy toes, trying to see the, uh, like the piece of paper he's holding to like surveying yeah, exactly. the land. 
right? And then there's these other couple of figures off to the right that are just like really nicely done by Asi Haikala to kind of balance out the the imagery. But there's like very subtle things like that that when like you have, hold the card in your hand, you start looking around more because or like when you're playing the game, you're looking at the power level or the mana cost and the game mechanics. So you're like looking at, at all different aspects of the card um, by design. Like you have to to play the game and you start noticing things. But yeah, exactly. some of the most rewarding thing about like putting in all the effort is people saying that like this is the first time they'd notice the artist's name on a card as they're playing a game. Like most times people are like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's cool, that's awesome. But they kind of take for granted like who did it um, and kind of their background. So that's kind of like one of the motivating factors for the website and, and the YouTube channels talk about the history of not only the game, but the artists too and their backgrounds um, to introduce people to that. And it builds like a tighter connection between game player or collector, you know, whatever people are into and the artist and the artwork. So. Exactly. And I also, I think I love the whole concept of like little hidden Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. I think that's already so nice. It's just brilliant because when you're playing them, you go, oh, okay, I haven't noticed that detail before. And that's, that's really cool. And that's something that also, I mean, the hand-painted art is so important because it has a whole, you know, different sort of life and expression to it. So I'm just really happy and I'm very much looking forward to seeing some cards. We haven't had any cards in hand yet. So we yeah. are very jealous of you being able to handle <laughs> some of those cards. Yeah, I know. I feel uh, very fortunate that it sent me a few things. It's in the alpha pre-contacts. Like, and, and there's like a stark difference that I noticed in the alpha pre-cons versus the sample cards. Like the, the, the sample cards felt great, but then when you look at the alpha cards, just like the final print looks so good with the color balance and everything. Like you could tell they really put the, the extra effort and energy into making sure they got that right. And it's really showing. And you mentioned like Easter eggs. So there's Easter eggs like in the art illustration concepts themselves where artists like hide specific elements, you know, in their design. But then I can't recall like another game hiding stuff behind the game mechanic box. And you see that a lot in sorcery um because they i think i assume they knew from the start that there would be a full art version of their card in some form or another like i think early on um eric was definitely undecided about foil cards yeah. um, but i think he was always dabbling with the idea of like full art with no text boxes and it was just a matter of would those be like inserts in the packs and then ultimately decided those would be the reverse side of the foil cards but i think um the artist created their illustrations with intent knowing that there would be um, they would see the full image, you know? So like when the text box was removed, they could play with that and, and hide something mm -hmm. there if they chose to. And there's some, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. So like that's I say, like another like a lot of games that you want to yeah. see those foils. So you can also see the full art back. Yep. Yeah. They're going to be hard to get, but I think they will be really <laughs> exciting when people <laughs> discover those little Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to be so much more rewarding, uh, when they are to get that, when you actually get them, they're going to be so special and, Having yeah. this extra feature, able to see stuff that might not otherwisely be, you know, discernible. That is, that's, that's great. I think yep. it's going to be really fun. And it's also going to be great for collecting that, that these file cards are so rare as they are. So you can really start building your collections and, and take your time. And uh, yeah, speaking of time, um, do you know uh, how frequently um, Sorcerer is going to release sets? Uh, well, they've said it. They said one set per year, but the release cycle is a little hosed up by the delays, I think. So yeah. it's yeah. like it's what's going to happen in the next year to year and a half is what I'm really curious about, because you got I don't know. They're saying beta in September now. I think alpha is going to come probably 
within the next month, let's say roughly by mid-May, I would say is a reasonable guess. And then um, beta in September, if that timeline holds. And then originally they said Arthurian Legends by the end of 2023, but then that would be another set like coming out just a, that would have to be a few months after beta. I know they're like way ahead on the artwork commissioning on that. Um, yeah. I just don't know how far along they are in like game mechanic design and if they want to leverage the community again to do play testing and really still need to iron that out. I think that would probably dictate it as well as like the, the printer's capacity to take that on after. Cause like, you know, when things back up, they also now have to print all those beta cards. Exactly. And I don't know if the order's in that yet. They're doing this pre-order um, experiment or whatever you call it with team covenant to, to gauge demand. And then they got to turn on the printer to get through that. And you know, if there's, if there's a lot, if there's a lot of demand and they print a lot of boxes that could push things back for Arthurian legends, even if the set is ready, um, the long pull could be the printer and logistics to get, get it through fulfillment. So I don't know, I'm guessing probably Arthurian legends in first quarter of next year. And yeah. then maybe like another set also next year though. And then that mini set at some point. In yeah, between. can you speak a little more about that mini set? Because we haven't heard yeah. much except for, uh, you know, dragons. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it is a dragon theme. And it's um, so it's being done by Ed Beard Jr. I don't know if you guys remember him from early Magic days. He He's did. Absolutely uh, iconic. Yeah, he did uh, Nico Bolas, the Elder yeah, Dragon. Exactly. is probably one of his most famous um, Magic artworks. What's that? Which one? Was it from the Legends? Uh, yeah, Legends. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was an early set. And then he, um, but then like he got away from Magic and he became like, he got into like airbrush work. So he's done a lot of like um, airbrushing of like high end cards. Like he's got this Dragon Lord van and um, he takes it to like shows and things. But he also does airbrushing for, for like vintage cars and th things like that. Like I know he's, he's done uh, work for like Jay Leno and, major celebrities and stuff like and he makes a lot of money like outside of the the conventional tcg fantasy realm doing that kind of thing so he's done very well to diversify his career and um do well outside of tcgs so it's kind of cool now he's coming back to sorcery so i guess eric just like liked his i mean everybody loves dragons in a tcg right so he figured he's the dragon master who better than ed bear jr to get to do that and um I was talking to Ed about this and he, he explains it on his Patreon. I'm in, in his Patreon too. And you could see him like painting several times throughout the week. He'll do these marathon sessions for like five plus hours where he's painting these, these um, 10 pieces for sorcery one at a time, you know, and it takes like a few weeks cause they're very large and there's an incredible amount of detail. Like it's just like stunning how he does it too. He doesn't even use like a reference um, like a lot of artists does. He's doing it completely from his imagination. And it's it's just wow. so incredible, like how he knows exactly what to do. <laughs> it just boggles my mind. And it just like Especially looks masterful. On, like, a huge scale. Yeah. So he's so there's gonna be ten and um it's a concept. He told me that like he's he's come he came up with like a long time ago, like a narrative of what these ten characters are. Or, or the 10, like some are actual characters and others I think are more scenic and stuff, but he's got this whole like story behind it, like story concept. And now this is his chance to now like manifest that in a artistic, you know, painting form. But I think there's also, I think he said he's going to work with like a friend of his to do like a written narrative about it as yeah, well. Yeah, and I'm I not sure if, like that, that he yeah, I don't know if that's sort of part of sorcery. Yeah, I don't know if that's like going to be released as a sorcery thing or something he'll do separately, but it's kind of like he's he's like um, getting to the latter part of his art career. I don't know how long he'll keep doing it or not, but like it feels like this is his big like 
yeah, grand finale open. type yeah. masterpiece of like art uh, with these 10 pieces that are just they're like amazing. You, you guys should should really see if you haven't already. He shares like little snippets of them on his social media. But yeah, I've seen the like artist, little things here and there. But yeah, yeah, they're very impressive. It's going to be it's going to blow people's minds, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if they're like going to add his sort of whole idea about the characters into the game, because right now Sorshi doesn't have a lore per se, mm -hmm. but Eric has spoken sometimes in the Discord about maybe, you know, sort of adding lore at some point or adding characters or stories. So that's going to be interesting to see if that's something he's going to do. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that would be interesting because he's got he's definitely got like a pretty deep um, story behind what he's doing. So if Eric could pair that with the game mechanics, you know, like he typically does, that would be really cool. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they're gonna collaborate and figure that out in a real cool way. I'm excited to see how it pans out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but yeah. do we know if it's like a mini set with only the dragons, or is it going to be dragons and something else? Do we have any hints to that? Um, the very first one was the dragon lord itself, yeah. so it is a dragon. And then some of the others, I've been kind of like I float in and out of his Patreon. Like like I say, he does it several times a week, and I can't always attend them all. So there's a few I haven't seen yet, but. Um, not every one is like a very specific dragon concept. Like another one is like the lair of the dragon itself. So okay, it's more yeah. of like a dragon's lair, like a building, right? And then like this Maybe like a, a site? Scenic. Yeah, like a site. Yeah, I think there'll be some site. I assume there'll be a, a mix of site cards and spell type cards or creatures, you know? Um, so it'd be the whole gamut. Yeah. It's, That's it's pretty wild. Great. Yeah. Do you know in Sorcery, um, how much do the artists and and the game collaborate because I, I saw an interview with uh, Therese Nielsen at one point when she made this uh, iconic art for uh, Force of Will and she was just told it's going to be a red card and she just <laughs> painted something red and then it became blue. Um, but but how much do how closely do sorcery and the artist uh, collaborate on the art and the gaming cards? Um, I, I think they're given just like a very high level description, you know, like Eric will give them a couple sentences, like very rough idea. And then um, they have a lot of creative freedom to kind of like come up with their own concept around that short narrative. And it's kind of funny. Like if you talk to Eric one-on-one, -on -one, like he's kind of cryptic in his speaking too, you know, he'll give you like a one-liner <laughs> or two. And then you got to kind of infer what the hell he's talking about or, <laughs> you know, like he won't give you the whole story, but it kind of works perfectly. And if you go back at the early days of magic, that's how it was too. Like they yeah. would only give you a card title. I mean, you, you go back and listen to like Anson Maddox or some of these early alpha magic artists, they would just give you, and I think, um, I want to say maybe Jeff Menges mentioned this too, when I interviewed him, that like, you would only get the title or like, there'd be a whole bunch of titles and they'd be like, Hey, so which ones, which ones do you want to do? And then the artist would be like, Oh, this, this one sounds cool. Like I have an idea in my head on this one or that one. Right. So it's somewhat similar to that. So I think Eric gives them like a one or two liner and like in talking with several of the artists, that's been very consistent too. They're like, Oh, that you really didn't tell me much. You just said like make it uh you know there's like a wizard in the in the forest <laughs> you know or something <laughs> like that right and then yeah. they just come up with it and then like i think um some of them they'll do like when i interviewed elvira she talked about how she would typically do three different sketch variants with her concept and then she would ask eric which one he liked the best and then they'd settle on that and then she'd go off and do it um but yeah i think um there's some twists on that with some of the artists not all of them offered three different variants some just kind of like played with some ideas and then threw it over the wall and said, Eric, what do you think? And then sometimes he, he's like a great art director himself too. You know, he did that with Path of Exile 
and yeah. uh, grinding gear game. So he has like a really good vision and a um, just kind of like a style and understanding of how like a game piece should look. It's got to have like a, a central focal point, you know, like when you're playing a game, it, it, I think um, there's been some examples where maybe the card was too generic or too, it didn't have like enough of a, a striking focal point to match how it would be used in the game. So sometimes there's been some tweaks based on that, you know, and they all like this one here. Um, this is, it's got a very central figure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and it, like you could, if, it, if the background, these other horses in the battle scene were more pronounced, that could dilute it. But like the, the focus, uh, this is the season cell sword. And the focus of that card is, is this character and what it does. I think I forget exactly um, what the final mechanic was. Like it's, it says something about it goes to the highest bidder. So there's like some, in some way your opponent can seize control of the sellsword. <laughs> um, but yeah, as an example, that's basically it. Really high level description. And then a little bit of back and forth with the artist to fine tune the details. But the artist yeah. pretty much come up with it. And sometimes he'll tweak the game mechanic based on the artist's concept as well. So well, that's really cool because that's take. like truly collaborative that he's mm -hmm. willing to change something about the card to make it fit the art. But do yeah. the artists appreciate that? Are any one of them you know, like frustrated with not having more specific or do they just love running with that freedom that he gives them? Um, yeah, I think like almost all of them absolutely love it. I think some can find it a little nerve wracking, like hoping he's going to like it yeah. and <laughs> that it's on track. But um, yeah, I think a lot of the experienced artists kind of like have a vision for what they want to do and confidence in their work that they 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 love the the freedom to go express it and do it how they want to do it. Um, so that is an appeal. And like, if you, if you listen to some of the artists that have not, like gotten away from doing magic and other TCGs, they, some of them left because they were so frustrated that they were kind of pigeonholed into a box and like a very specific mm. lore and concept that they, it was losing its creative integrity, you know, and they'd rather do book covers or, you know, some other genre of art where they had more freedom to express what they're doing. So they have, they do absolutely love the traditional hand painted aspect of it and the creative freedom, I think are two major selling points. I don't think he's going to have any trouble convincing artists to come, come join the project. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. No, that sounds great. What is, what is the deal between uh, sorcery and the artists? Um, do they own their own art or is sorcery buying the art from the artist and, 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 you know, uh, take a, take ownership of it or, or what's, what's the deal? Yeah, the artists own the copyright, which is great, too, because a lot of other games, they don't own their own copyrights at all. They kind of forfeit that. So they, they're paid for the commission, but then they forfeit the copyright to the to creator, you know, and then they which limits them. I mean, maybe if they ask permission, they could go print play mats and do prints or hand embellish prints like a lot of things we're seeing in sorcery now. Um, but in sorcery, they, they own the copyright themselves so they can do all those ancillary products and um, whatever they want. I think um, the company, Eric's Curiosa, does like reserve the right to use the artwork for marketing. You know, mm -hmm. that's how they're able to print it, like on the, the pre-con box and the, the booster yeah, exactly. box. And, you know, they offered playmats through the Kickstarter campaign. So I think that was part of the contractual agreement. But um, that's just use of the of the artwork for marketing or products. But other than that, you know, the artists can do playmats or they can do whatever they want. If when you own the copyright, you could do whatever you want with it, you know, only limited by your creative ideas. Yeah, so. that's great because, yeah, sometimes we, we hear about artists being, you know, poorly paid and uh, seizing copyright. And then yeah. some piece of art becomes really, you know, iconic or spectacular and they can't do anything about it. They can't use it for their own 
creative creative purposes so it's great to hear that sorcery are treating the artists uh, nicely yeah absolutely mm. yeah. so what do you think is like has been the most unexpected thing with dealing with all of this art do you have like a good story or anything unexpected that you've come across either with the sample cards or with the art or anything like that because I mean that's a whole um, different experience and not something that is like you something you do with your day job as I understand it's not like it's not yeah. even close to being anything about art right no yeah I'm an I have an engineering degree undergrad <laughs> electrical engineering and then I uh, I did do an MBA master of business administration like a couple years out of school so I'm always I've always been into like business and investing um, but yeah my day job is very different than than this stuff and and like I didn't really you know I was just like a fan of magic back in the day and art and TCGs you know so I like when I first heard about sorcery I didn't really have like a business interest per se I just wanted to own all the cards and I was like begging Eric <laughs> to have like a very cheap like full art set like the old Frazetta cards you can buy the whole set for a hundred dollars yeah. I was like just do that man like as like a just for the Kickstarter at least like let me have all the full arts for like 150 bucks <laughs> um so I just was like a collector at heart really um but yeah so like I guess um yeah so things just kind of evolved like as I kind of built a network and a community and around the website and then getting into YouTube and stuff and then really the like artist relationships lent itself to um working with them to help like a lot of them are like up and coming artists like younger artists outside yeah. of the MTG realm so um they're not as well known or they might be well known in their general region or niche like a lot of them are pretty accomplished like in Europe and different parts of the world um, but not they've never done a TCG before. So I figured like with my network and my platforms and stuff, I could help build awareness for them. And then it just became logical and made sense to also help them market and sell their work. So it was like the original paintings and sketches and things at first. And then um, uh, others, like I guess like the unexpected would be this hand embellished prints is like some things I've done recently, like with Severin Pino, yeah. I did the... Um, the Philosopher's Stone, like that we did a series of 10 where she digitally, we had this idea to digitally remove the, the stone and then completely hand paint it. Um, and now we're doing another series where we're doing something similar with like, I, I really like these crossover concepts where you kind of like intermingle the gameplay with the art design. So you take like two different game pieces or artworks in the game and you take the game mechanic and you try to convey that in an artistic illustration. So the first one I did of those was with Kyle Calazans, who's actually on the stream here, or he was earlier, I saw him commenting, where he took the um, the rail drone dairy, you, you know, the camel one. Yeah, exactly. Um, just kind of roaming through the desert and there's nothing going on, right? And then he took the, the doomsday device and he built it, he painted it on the back of the camel <laughs> um, because there was like an early like live stream Q&A type thing that Eric did where he talked about um, how there's like this like ho-hum drone dairy that doesn't really do anything. It's just like a cheap to play uh, camel um, that, that has no effect, right? It's like, it, it's kind of weak. It doesn't have like a high power level and it's cheap to play, but then you could use it as a vessel to transport the doomsday device. So he did that with the um, doomsday device. It's like a series of three that he did. And it was kind of like an evolved concept where you have the camel carrying the doomsday device and then it explodes and it um it like basically blew up the camel and you see like pieces of the doomsday device scattered all over the field and it was so it was like an embellished print and i wasn't sure if there'd be a market for that at all you know because it's kind of like an oddball idea that i haven't really seen in other games i think there's 
sometimes like artists will do like remarks as they call them where they'll yeah. do embellishments and enhance per certain pieces of the original artwork like Se i did that with severin for the elemental avatars where she kind of accented some of the nature elements and things like that so it makes it feel like an original at a lower cost point so it hits like a different market segment so people can afford something that has that personal touch from the artist without having to spend potentially several thousand dollars for the, the, the original right um, but the crossover concept is like a whole nother level on top of that where you can like look at the cards the game mechanic and really have like a fun flavorful type piece of artwork that you could put on your wall as you're also realizing that that um, mechanic in the game play so that's a lot of fun like i don't have the artistic chops myself but i I have some creative ideas and to be able to work with the artists who do have the talent and the skill to execute it is like a dream come true. It's so fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's like a childhood that. dream. I mean, getting yeah. to get in, involved with it in, at that level, that must be really cool. Also yeah. because it's, it's really beautiful. I just saw the recent thing Savine did with the mm -hmm. new stone. It's, it's really beautiful. It really enhances that other art combining the two pieces together. It is yeah. really gorgeous. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that, that was really exciting. Like we, we had a rough idea. Um, I kind of, so it, that card was first called Predestination and then they changed it to Kithera Mechanism. And there's this device called the Anti-Kithera Mechanism and Anti-Kithera is a, like an, a Greek island basically. So they found this sunken treasure there. Yeah. And there was this, this Anti-Kithera Mechanism was what they ended up calling it. And it was like, I don't know, a century or two ago it was discovered. And um, it was like an astonishing scientific breakthrough where that anti-Kethera mechanism was used well well before they thought this technology was was um, even discovered or like developed in in real life. So it was like a, an astonishing find, and it was used to use like the stars and the galactic yeah, elements exactly. to do um, time, like to tell time. Um, so the idea on the Philo stone was to replace the stone with that galactic stone. Because the, the Philosopher's Stone itself is about alchemy and it's about that has real life lore too. one of the great things about the game is a, a lot of the real life lore elements. Um, so now taking it with the crossover approach and replacing the stone with the uh, anti-Kethera mechanism is like just kind of a cool idea mixing alchemy and uh, that real life history. And it, ca it came out beautiful. So it was just like a rough idea. I was like, hey, maybe we should do like a planet for the stone or like some kind of galactic scene. And then she came back with that proof of concept that I shared recently on some of the social media sites. And I was like blown away. I was like, that is striking. <laughs> it is, it yeah. really is. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about if we just pivot to the whole content creation thing? What do you think our role is as content creators working with sorcery or for sorcery? What's your whole philosophy about the content creation and the game and what our relationship should be? Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's really important. You know, there's a few content creators, Ted's basement and magic historian is cool. These guys are joining in and supporting <laughs> each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've, they have some big time channels too. So like the company for the past, um, since it started really, there hasn't been a huge emphasis on a big marketing push. And some people are saying like, oh, that's, you know, they're missing an opportunity and there's all this competition with all these indie games and Lorcana and all this. And they're, they're blowing it. Like even I was concerned that they were going to lose the, um, like the, so they had this massive Kickstarter campaign yeah. back in March, 2022 and huge momentum on a $4 million campaign. Right. And I was worried that that was going to atrophy and attrition over time if they didn't like pour the gas on, so to speak. And, 
you know, put the pedal to the metal and keep like generating interest. I was like, hey, Eric, just put out like a picture of one card every week. There's 400 cards, like one card a week. You're not going to reveal too much of the set and it will keep like the interest alive. But yeah, like they were reluctant to do so because they didn't have product to sell. Um, and they were getting like inundated with requests. Like everyone wanted to buy the product and it was like a real bad feel for everybody that they couldn't buy it. So I think um, us content creators that have like filled that void in that niche have kept the interest alive, you know, through the YouTube coverage like you guys do. And the Facebook group has grown steadily um, up to 1500 ish now people. And like, I would, I would, I always like, my goal is always to post at least one thing every single day since the day I created it back in, I don't know, what was it February, first week of February last year. Um, and that has helped keep the interest. Like a lot of people have told me privately that like, you know, I was almost out on sorcery because I didn't know what the hell was going on. And, <laughs> you know, I just yeah. I thought they like some people just like gave up on the project and just thought it was, you know, like they didn't care to to put information out or there was like weird and shady stuff going on in other games. People just forget and lose interest. Right. So um, they said, like, it's helped like the coverage we all do has helped them maintain interest and excitement in the project. And it's been very important for the artists too. you know, like a lot of their work is now more valuable um but yeah in terms of like engagement with the game i think we'll have opportunities to showcase the product like most content creators do um yeah life after alpha release will be a lot different um it'll be interesting to see what the dynamic is there especially like with i think it'll be important especially important too with the one-year release cadence too um yeah. keeping the interest going and coming up with creative ideas to say you know people are enjoying this and the game's growing i'm, I'm sure it'll be successful <clears throat> Yeah, but it might also make it difficult to be a content creator because, I mean, you constantly have to develop new ideas, figure out stuff to do because there isn't like, oh, it's a new hype. It's a new set every other month. So you yeah. sort of have to keep the ball rolling yourself. So what do you think that Aries Curiosa or the team could do to maybe assist us as content creators for the game? Is there anything we could work around, something they could do to perhaps help create more content or interest? Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like a lot of games like leverage their content creators to showcase the product. So I think like some in early going that have like established themselves as like a consistent creator will be getting, you know, some got the alpha precon decks and then it'll be the booster boxes, but then it'll be interesting to see for the next cycle, like Arthurian legends, um, what is the, like, um, the lead up campaign that they're going to pursue? Like, are yeah. they going to have. Like you see, like in Flesh and Blood, for example, like all these content exactly. creators come up with these little video snippets. And like, I think what's what's cool um, about that is they, it seems like their design team at Legendary Studios gives the creator like some edited video that's pretty polished and exciting with like music and theatrical things going on. And then all of a sudden the creator comes in and is like reading the card mechanic. So like the burden of the um, knowing the technology and knowing how to do like a polished video editing isn't so much on the creator. Like me, myself, I don't do any video editing whatsoever. <laughs> Partly because like I don't have the technical skill. Like it would take me some time to learn to do that. But I, with three little kids and stuff and like all the platforms I have going on that I'm trying to nurture and feed, like I just don't have the bandwidth to like take that on. Mm. Um, and I like an impro improvisational style anyway, but I'm just trying to envision, like if I showcase a product, I have a lot of like artist insights and stories and that's kind of my niche, but I, I don't have like the technical ability to do a real polished video. 
Um, so that would be one way that the company could help us or just, and, and that's like a reason too, to like spread it wide and far. Like everyone has their own niche um, yeah, that exactly. they focus on. Like mine is art and collecting. Um, they definitely should lean on like a game playing channel. Um, that's a suggestion I made to Eric recently that like that one Becca, um, Becca Scott. Yeah. Becca Scott. She did like yeah. a real nice, like 10 minutes, like concise, very well polished video. Um, but the only thing that I would like say was lacking there is is an example of like the very flavorful gameplay mm -hmm. so if you could come up with like that rel drone dairy idea carrying the doomsday device and exploding or like the pudge butcher dragging across <laughs> a minion or like something with splash damage or blowing up the realm like that's the stuff that differentiates sorcery and makes it really compelling yeah um, and flavorful so, i mean yeah. it was really good and was really mm -hmm. well produced but it was also very generic i don't know if that's mm -hmm. the right word there is there wasn't a lot of like the flavor yeah yeah if i if i was like i was trying to put myself in the shoes of someone just like discovering sorcery for the first time through her channel and like it would probably be like oh that art looks awesome and then yeah yeah <laughs> again like because that sells itself very easily and then if people go and look further into the game, then they'll learn like how innovative and creative the game design is and the different aspects of traversing the realm and the, the attack engagements and movement type aspects. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't come across in a video like that. So I think they could lean into that some more because I haven't, I haven't really seen that at all other than like people verbally talking about it, like Eric or some of the other content channels. But if someone could demonstrate that, I think that's, that's an opportunity, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, I mean, I think also it's uh, really interesting to that you've been into the creating of the content for such a long time. Do you see like any obvious places or areas of sorcery that would need more content creation apart from like gameplay? Is there anything else that you would love to see pop up for sorcery in terms of content creation? Um. Yeah, I think the the gameplay is the one that really comes to mind. I think some guys are doing some good examples of. Well, right now it's on Tabletop Simulator as well. Yeah. That's always a challenge to like showcase gameplay. I think. Yeah. Um, I saw like. Did you guys ever play Hearthstone by any chance? Yeah, I I, I dabbled a little in it, but I, I it's. I, I just really like to have you know have the cards in hand. Yeah. Having this physical product, it just does something something else and, and having only digital cards i think it becomes a little stale yeah um so but yeah it, it was a fun gameplay yeah the only the only reason i mention it is they would have these like big tour events right and they'd have like really polished broadcasters even though they're community members they were very articulate people and mm -hmm. they did a real good job covering the game and i was always really impressed with like their camera angles like you could actually see, and maybe it's because it's a digital game, it's a lot easier, but you could actually see the cards in the player's hand and they did a great job giving you like a play-by-play, -play, like watching a football game, you know, the yeah. like annotating and like understanding their decision, like why they made the play that they did and why the deck was constructed in the way it was and some of the synergies of the cards or what card they might be looking for next. So like, I think um, there's opportunity to evolve to that. Like right now we have some basic just kind of like videotaping people playing on tabletop simulator which is like step one but like once more and more people dive into the game and have real tangible cards in hand maybe you'll have like deck tech videos like you yeah, know trying absolutely. to come up with new synergy concepts and stuff like that i think that'll be really good for the player base 
Yeah, and much like, uh, you know, Flesh and Blood has as well, they also do some really great, you know, big, you know, pro tours, and there are people commentating on it, and they're mm -hmm. getting better and better at showing the cards, so you can actually follow, you know, the strategy behind the play. I think that's really great, and I hope we get to see that for Sorcery as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Yeah, but definitely having a big digital platform, having a digital game uh, on top of having the physical card game might also be a really good idea because well in our local uh, our local game store um they started having flesh and blood and then it just it just dwindled out of the you know the the available wares that they had and and when we asked them why aren't you you know supporting flesh and blood they were like well there's there's not really a community for it and it's hard to sell and i could fear that that sorcery might have some of the same problems at least in denmark that it can be really hard to get new players to play the game. And I think maybe having a digital platform might be a great way for new players to try the game out before they go buy a lot of cards. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. And clearly um, Eric has the technical chops to pull that off, if anybody, um, coming from a video gaming background. So I think, um, I think it's very possible eventually, but I wouldn't expect it anytime soon just by the... Well, the size of the team, it's fairly tiny still, you know, and like he's got a lot to learn, I'm sure, just from like the business aspect of launching a TCG, all the fulfillment aspects, all the, you know, partnering relationships with retailers, with content Absolutely. creators. There's just so much to like flesh out and make sure that's really tight and sound as a strong foundation and then maybe exactly. scale into digital down the road at some point. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. also just right now, I think I would imagine there's a whole thing about getting the right team together, hiring people, making sure you have the right people on the right you know, positions so you can develop mm -hmm. the game further. And I definitely think they're under a lot of pressure because they're not that big a team yet. So I would imagine that's also on the top of the list, just making sure we get some product in our hands soon and that the next couple of sets are really solid in terms of gameplay mechanics and art. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wonder is like when he left grinding gear games, typically there's like um, some period of time where you can't poach employees. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm wondering if that's like two years and then all of a sudden he's going to be able to grab some of his buddies, you know, that are super creative, like they were on his design team. He was the creative director, you know, so although they, they don't need the help in the creative design area other than taking some of the time burden off of Eric, I imagine. I mean, he's got yeah. great vision himself, but I'm sure they could use um game designers and business type people you know that, that can help yeah, with like, the business aspect maybe yeah. also like a community manager again mm. because it would definitely yeah. be nice to have someone just dedicated to maintaining <laughs> relationship with content creators players just making sure that the information mm. the right information at the right time gets out yeah that's definitely going to be a critical hire and like i think losing you guys knew simon i don't know how long you've been in the discord yeah if you're I did. Yeah, Simon was like a really good guy. And um, yeah, that was a tough loss because like he started off as the community um, community manager, I guess, was his official title. So people just thought he was like only responsible for keeping the peace in the Discord and moderating the <laughs> Discord, so to speak. Right. But like he actually has a lot of industry experience yeah. and like he came up with a lot of the, the great ideas, like the Curio cards, I believe, was his idea, like licensing with Frank Fazetta. And then also having the industry experience to know how to go to market, like, you know, the marketing aspect and like strategic partnering with a printer, with distributors, that kind of stuff. Like he has experience in those realms. So that's tough. Like I'm hoping they'll hire someone in, in that regard. 
um, that could really help Eric because um, Eric's like, you know, video game realm. I'm sure he has a ton of connections, but TCGs are a little different, right? So the business aspect yeah, and, could help. And exactly. And yeah. TCGs really are their own special niche about, you know, maintaining that balance between players, collectors, possibly investors, making sure yeah. that everybody can play the cards. But there's also some interesting things like curio cards that people really want to collect and crack back you know, more boxes to make sure mm -hmm. they get something. And I think that's a very specific thing to the TCG space that you don't really find anywhere else. So yeah. definitely having someone with that industry experience is an absolute must going forward, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I think they will be hiring, you know, as time goes on and hopefully beta will be a great success and profitable mm -hmm. for them. And then, um, Beta is kind of like an extension of alpha, so it's not going to be a ton of difference other than these avatars, which was kind of a shocking change. We could talk about that if you want to. But um, then Arthurian Legends will be the next big expansion. And I think, you know, we've seen a couple reveals from Jeff Menges and Elvira Shakarova. Like the art for that set is going to be. Yeah. I think, like, <laughs> I'm like, it's hard to say like a step up cases. from alpha. But yeah. yeah, it only gets better. Like it's really stunning, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think I love the vibe of alpha not being, you know, forced into one theme, but being mm -hmm. a lot of different things. But I also really enjoy seeing that Ethereum Legends is it like a themed set. It feels really yeah. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also having this high fantasy world and, you know, having it really loose, I think that's, that's something I have, uh, you know, been been asking of Magic at some point because I remember around Thurnaville Drain, I, I got a little tired of it. Like, oh, now we have fairy tale themes and <laughs> we had Greco themed uh, in Theros and all these themes and and there was not anything just binding the themes together in the long run, and there was something I was really looking forward to. So so having this open high fantasy world, I think it's it's really nice and it's it feels. It feels good going back to the roots in this aspect in the TCG. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting if they stick with like a focus theme like Arthurian Legends or go back to another open type format too. I guess themes can be incredible. Like if it's an exciting one, if you're into the theme, it's a yeah. home run. If it's not yeah. really your thing, it might be like kind of meh for some people. It's, it seems like a risk, um, pros and yeah. cons, right? But I mean, who isn't into knights and yeah. you know heroic stuff <laughs> and lots of cool relics? I would imagine we're getting you know some of the maybe Excalibur and you mm -hmm. know I could definitely see them really stretching that theme out and making it a lot of fun, both visually and also in terms of gameplay. Yeah, yeah, right. The gameplay, like the real, the real life lore, like how that could manifest into like a, a game and the mechanics, um, will be really fascinating. I think there'll be there's a lot of like creative possibilities too that i think that's at first i was um you know i've always played traditional tcgs like magic hearthstone things like that um so like I, I never played like a grid grid um base type game so now people are speculating like is this a board game is it a tcg is it a hybrid um and like at first i was like eh, grid based game i don't know like it probably wouldn't be like the first thing i'd want to go try given my background in conventional games but now like and I played enough of like I too like refuse to play the tabletop simulator. So I've seen other people play, but I don't want to play the simulator. So I haven't done that. But like I've played enough games where I could look, I could read the card mechanic and like understand enough like how the game works and like the potential in it and the creative design. And now like I think this the grid style um, gameplay is like amazing and like super exciting and adds a whole new dimension that uh, carves out its own niche 
and can be popular in its own right and doesn't have to compete head to head with some of the other the big three as you say you know yeah and i think as long as the grid is working for you and not against you i think it's really interesting because it provides a lot of opportunities to sort of you know create different mechanics that affect the board state as well yeah mm. yeah that's definitely very cool but yeah it's yeah, really interesting to see if uh, if it if it survives because you know we had a uh, we had genesis that was also a grid game and that unfortunately has gone out of business so, yeah. so having sorcery you know being a new game being old school focused in the art and and being a grid game it, i think i think they might have some challenges in the future but i hope the art is going to make up for these challenges and just have people you know be drawn in yeah i think there's like a lot of um possibilities they could lean into and expand on on the realm itself as well yeah. you know like path of exile is like the dungeon crawler style game so there's i'm sure eric has a lot of creative ideas in that regard but like if you could take you could imagine like a play mat that has like a terrain on it and it's, it could be one of the atlas artworks right and then you maybe leverage that that uh terrain right and that causes some navigational limitations you know like if there's a river you can only traverse it on a bridge for like an earth-based creature or if it has airborne you can get over the river you know or it's like the like one of the water cards can like float swim across, swim across yeah. it or like yeah. go under it or something right like that would be pretty cool like too i think there's like a whole like new space they can explore in that regard too that we probably just scratch in the surface so it'll be very interesting over the next several sets to see if they go down that path as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a definitely, you know, a great opportunity to be able to add that to your game as well, because you can add a lot of mechanics, but the other TCGs that don't have a grid can't do anything of the sort. So I think that's really interesting. <coughs> yeah. Yep. It opens new doors for sure. Yep. And maybe also for the artists, because it would be nice too to have some, you know, big grids to play on that are, you know, of good quality and well produced with some nice art on them also because some of the other games where you get this little paper fold out thingy and it's you know it breaks really fast and it becomes yeah. annoying, quite the annoyance so so i hope they also are thinking already in, in having the the right equipment for the players so we can you know just start gaming and then have some fun with some nice quality products yeah Definitely. yeah someone so, was asking here like when they're less than the stores. When can they buy beta? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, Team Covenant's got their pre-sale going on through this month. They have that store in New Zealand. Um, Geek Culture, I think, is the distributor, but I, presumably some retailers and LGSs are selling it down in, uh, I think it's New Zealand or Australia, one of the two. They're selling it down there. But, yeah, there's going to be all types of U.S. retailers for beta, and it would be interesting. Timing-wise, we don't know. They say they're going to do, like, an international release all over the world all at once on um, – sometime in September is like the, the notional target. But, um, yeah, I don't know like how soon they're going to announce it for other stores. Maybe it's when this team covenant, uh, pre-order agreement expires at the end of the month. Maybe we'll see some announcements in May or like after alpha's out, you know, they'll start, I would think leaning into beta and saying like, Oh, it's out there now. People are getting excited. They're seeing the product. They, they want to buy it. They, they're going to have to get the word out on where you can do that. Right. Exactly. I would also imagine they have an easier time, you know, getting people and stores to sign up for beta as soon as they see that that alpha is actually doing well, that people are interested, that people are asking. I had a, you know, a quick discussion with a local store here in Denmark and was just asking, 
you know, I can see you're on the locator on the website. So are you getting sorcery? What are you going to do? What are your plans? And they were really interested, but they were also a bit hesitant. And they were like, we're just going to get the product and then we can see what happens. So I imagine that yeah. post alpha is going to be the time to get more distributors on. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's pretty typical. Like I've talked to some stores and they're like, we would never buy any Kickstarter. Like, I don't, they don't care how successful the Kickstarter campaign itself was. They, they'd rather wait until the game's a success and then carry it. Like even in flesh and blood. And actually you mentioned Genesis. Like I listened to and like, I don't, I only care about sorcery really, but like, I'll still go like casually, like look into other TCGs. That's just to sure. understand the TCG market as a whole. Um, so like when, when I, I heard some stuff about Genesis, never really looked into it in a lot of detail, but then when the guy announced kind of like suddenly that he was packing it up and shutting it down, I listened to some interviews that he had done and he was talking about how like he would have to like do like a roadshow basically a few years back and go like store to store and really sell the game himself. Like you see the guy from cryptic doing, and, um, you know, that's approaches some take, but uh, it was hard for him just to get into like one or two stores. It was like one or two literally at a time. Whereas I think it's pretty significant that there was over a hundred that backed the Kickstarter for Absolutely. sorcery. So that's one leg up, but then yeah, a lot are still going to be reluctant and want to wait for it to be a success. And they're probably also a bit wary about the release cycle one per year. Um, there hasn't been a lot of detail um, really on like the product roadmap. Like we talked about earlier, when's the next set coming? When's Arthurian legend really coming? Um, how it'll be distributed. So there's a lot of risk in that when you just don't know. So I think like stores yeah. will wait until they at least know the beta strategy and then make an assessment of, you know, are they confident? And then like, how do they deal with the once per year releases? Are they going to print in waves? It's a problem for artists too. Like I work with a lot of artists to help them sell their paintings and they, they're like already painting one or two sets ahead right now. So we won't even be able to sell those paintings for another one year at least. <laughs> so that's pretty tough. So that's why you like the copyright does help to, as we were talking about earlier, because there's other creative things we can do with the alpha product with hand embellished yeah. prints or um, crossover concepts and things like that to fill the void. But from a gameplay mechanic, from like an LGS perspective, um, they're going to have to get creative to keep the interest alive in their local community, figure out how to monetize, um, like how they're going to carry the product and do so in a profitable way between releases. So a lot, we'll see, we'll see what comes up. Absolutely. Also because the store that I spoke with, they were also like, uh, it sounds great. We love the art. We love everything about it, but we also just want to open a box ourselves, make sure that the quality is there because we're not going to be selling something that we don't think is good enough. So they were also really, you know, emphasizing that they need to have some product in hand before they're going to make any further arrangements. Yep. Yeah. And you think about it, you, you want to hold the product in hand too and, and feel good that the print quality is good and actually play the game. You know, a lot of these stores aren't going to go on tabletop simulator and mess around. They're going to wait for the cards. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of change over the coming months after Alpha's out there, certainly with the innkeeper backers, they'll get the alpha precon decks. They can play around with those. And then definitely after beta, because that'll be more mainstream. They could order a lot more of it if they choose to and actually try it out. And then I think, um, yeah, it's interesting, like the, the, how to perceive beta versus if there will be a revised, because it yeah. seems like beta is a stepping stone. We still have not gotten it into the store's hands. Right. So they're, they're going to experience it for the first time, largely through beta, maybe not necessarily so through alpha, since that's more like individuals kind of early adopters just kind of 
taking a chance on it or whatever. If they pique their interest, they want to give it a shot. But from a store perspective, the big go-to-market push could be this revised set potentially, or maybe yeah. Arthurian Legends if beta does really well, you know? Mm. So. Yeah, I think so. Also because revised, I think Eric has spoken of something along the lines of revised that's going to be more adjusted where beta is pretty much about the same as alpha with a few tweaks also about the avatars you mentioned the avatars yourself yeah. so what's the whole deal about it because we made we both made videos on it but just in mm -hmm. case people don't know what's going on with those avatars yeah that was an interesting development because they, they said like from the very get-go that the um elemental avatars would be exclusive to the alpha precon decks so <clears throat> at first people thought that they would only be in there um, then they clarified that they'll they'll the non-foils are exclusive to the alpha pre-constructed decks, but then they'll have a foil variant in the alpha booster boxes, which I think is smart, you know, because not everybody bought the pre-con decks. Yeah. Um, so you want to get access to those avatars. It's a fundamental game piece as an avatar that you need to play, right? Um, but then they said they're going to, like, completely replace them and retire. Like, so at first it was like, okay, they're going to retire the artwork. That's kind of cool, you know, it kind of like memorializes it as an alpha exclusive. Anytime anything was only printed in alpha, I think that makes it special for a collector. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, but to then completely replace the art and the game mechanic, I think that's pretty bold. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think Eric just does what he wants, you know, what he believes in. And he wanted to take it in this direction with the hooded avatars to like kind of tighten that connection of player and art piece and say like, you are the avatar. So that's like a more tighter correlation if you have this hooded figure and you can imagine yourself as that person or that avatar navigating the realm and defending your territory and trying to conquer. Um, so that's kind of cool in a way. It is kind of sad to see the elemental avatars go, but it also does make it a cool and as a collectible. And then I wonder for um, what happens then for like a revise if there is one or in beta, <clears throat> I don't know. Will they like, is it still built around the elements? I, I'm kind of confused about it. What do you guys think from like how it affects it from a collector perspective and from a gameplay player perspective? So I think and were you surprised? <laughs> I was very surprised. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think it also, it kind of, it's a big ask to get someone to pick up those pre-con decks and then tell them, oh, by the way, you can't play these in the next set of beta. You know, if they're just playing in a store and they get to play these pre-con decks, they sort of get comfortable with the mechanics and everything, and suddenly you can buy beta, but you can't get those specific avatars. I think that might affect the gameplay a bit, but hopefully they, the other ones will be close enough that, that it doesn't matter too much. And I think as for the collecting, what do you think about it? Oh, I, I actually thought it was kind of a shame because... I thought the avatars were absolutely stunning. They were gorgeous to look at, and they had this really flavorful feel to them. They were connected to this nature element that they represented. And I, I thought it was a bit silly to, to replace them because I think with a little bit of fantasy and a little, you know, imagination, you're going to, to be so enmeshed in the game that that you don't need some kind of hooded figure to, to represent you. I think you're going to, you know, just just live 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 that that character and 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 become it when you play and we can see that in, in computer games and everything else but when people talk about what they're doing they say i'm doing this i'm doing that but mm -hmm. no your character is doing it but but it reveals that they are so into what they, they do that they have forgotten their 
the, you know, the, the line between who they are and, and the character. And I, yeah, so I think it's a bit sad that they, they had these gorgeous art pieces go because I think, I think, I think the others are a bit more stale and, and not that flavorful, unfortunately. Yeah, I like the other figures yeah. as well, but I also think, I wonder in terms of collectability, are they going to be out, are people going to be playing enough with them that they connect with them and they want to collect them and give them a special value because they're from Alpha? Or are they just going to be, you know, something that you used to play but not anymore and then slowly forgotten? I don't really know. I think it depends on how much people attach themselves to them and how much value they gain also on the market afterwards. Yeah. What's your feeling about the collectability of them? Uh, that's a good point. I think it is like heavily levered to, I mean, the fact that they were exclusive to Alpha will always give it some aspect of collectability, but that could be damaged potentially if they become irrelevant for gameplay you know because mm -hmm. like in early going there's been some tournaments right and the earth uh avatar has been like a fairly powerful and yeah a, a relative one worth playing but the other three much lesser so and the fire one least of all right so if they don't support it and then they go to the hooded avatars and then they don't build on the mechanic that that these initial elemental avatars had they could further you know make it further irrelevant over time um so that would that might hurt its collectability or it might just be kind of like a niche collectible more so like you see like in the history of the big the big three it's kind of like i don't know cards become iconic that were like super powerful in the early sets mm -hmm. um but yeah i agree with you jens like they the um they're, they're pretty special you know like it's yeah. it's like captures like the essence of severin like so well the way she mixes humanity with nature it's just like so masterfully done and there's so much depth and detail in those art pieces that they do feel like very iconic and like i thought those were really the face of the game but then yeah, it seems cool. like eric started to pivot more towards the um the sorcerer you know mm. that francesca burrell did there's yeah. a sorcerer avatar which is a hooded figure and then it looks like she did the other hooded avatars that are to come. So now the sorcerer feels like maybe that's the face of the game. And then I don't know what to make of the four elemental avatars then. Um, I hope they're still relevant somehow. That's why I hope they're like, there's still, I think, a potential maybe they could be reintroduced into revised. And then maybe um, they'll be relevant again and you'll want to play with them. And then they could build synergies with the original mechanic or change the mechanic, but revive the artwork perhaps yeah. maybe you have both the elemental avatars and the hooded avatars and then you could just choose or they have different mechanics and you get a different game experience mm -hmm. as a result i don't know i hate to see them be irrelevant though and <laughs> marginalized because there's such great artworks and they're they're the face of the pre-con decks you know so yeah exactly yeah. but maybe they, they could be like reused and repurposed where they figure as a piece of art in a piece of art i would love that sort of meta feeling maybe some later mm -hmm. said they could be like hanging on the wall in the background of something of i would think that was absolutely amazing it would be a great mm -hmm. way to sort of pay a tribute to that original art yeah that's a cool idea i love that pay a homage to it some way yeah. and another like maybe severin can like paint the little figure into one of her other art pieces in the future i don't know yeah maybe have like a museum or an art gallery as a site and then feature those yeah. avatars i think that would be a really cool thing to see yeah awesome idea yep yeah so do you know if um if the art team or you know the the team behind the art if they have done some some uh, considerations as to what might and might not be featured because we know in magic that at the moment it seems there are some lines that are not to be crossed 
And if you go look at Flesh and Blood, you can see that it has this much, much darker and, and, and more violent uh, flavor to it. So do you know if there's, there's there's been some discussion in, in sorcery about what to show and not to show in the art? I'm not aware of that at all. And I think like I'm of the personal mind as, as like an art purist that there should be absolutely no limitations in art at all. You know, like you, you probably don't want to get like too CD with like full nudity, I would say, I guess, like graphic nudity. Um, there is like a limit per se, but like you don't want to stymie like the, the creativity either. So mm. I think they've strike the right balance. I mean, a lot of Frazetta art has kind of like softcore nudity so to speak like there is some nudity but it's not like overly like graphic or like offensive to people i wouldn't think and they're using frazetta art um that has a little bit of that in it <coughs> so yeah i know like magic would shy away from something like that and be ultra pc about it but i don't think like an indie game needs to take that stance and uh yeah as i say i think eric does what he wants and he's like an artist um so he appreciates like the creative freedom in art so I don't, I don't envision there being limits. I think he'll just let the market decide if, if they're put off by some of it, if it's too graphic or there's some basic nudity and that offends someone, then I mean, too bad. Like it's not for everybody. Um, you can't, you can't be worried about appealing to every last person, right? I think he, he's like someone is very true to his own vision, which is something a lot of us respect and admire about him. And we think makes the game stronger and differentiates it. So I think he'll stay true to that and he'll accept the consequences, you know, that maybe it alienates a small part of the market, but it's not make or break for the success of the game. It could actually be a differentiator and an advantage. Yeah. So you, do you have like an artist that you're scoping out that you would love to see do a sorcery card that hasn't done one yet? Because um, I mean, you must be come into contact with a lot of different artists. Mm -hmm. So maybe you've seen something that you think, hey, that person would be perfect for sorcery. Uh, I like the idea that Eric suggested of Wayne Barlow, you know, doing more of the darker demonic artwork. He's got some pretty amazing stuff. Um, but like, I will say that, like, I actually like the idea most of all of discovering new artists that I don't even know exist right now. Like several of the artists, um, in sorcery, I, I never knew before, you know, like probably at least half or something. Um, so that is the most exciting, I think discovering new um, so I'd actually prefer that more than like rehashing some of the old, even some of the old like legendary artists. You know, I think we got a good core set of them. He, he selected some great ones from D&D era and early MTG and stuff like that. Um, but now like, let's find more. Like some, I think he literally just like was surfing our art station and discovered people like Truett Parish. And um, I don't know, I assume that's probably how he discovered Mikhail Nagy Paul and um people like that. It's kind of cool. He grabbed some people from the MTG altars scene with Marta Molina and Elvira Shekarova and Kyle Calzans. Um, so that's really great leveraging people like that and giving them a chance to do full scale artwork. Cause they get clearly demonstrate the talent. Like mm -hmm. these altars look unbelievable and the yeah. art proofs, like now they can do art proofs on their own cards, which is going to be really stunning. That's pretty, and impressive. pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was an exciting breakthrough for them. So yeah, I don't have like a specific name. I don't want to retread like existing artists. I want, I want sorcery and Eric and the team to show me like the new up and comers or like even like older artists like Severin, you know, that like I, I probably would have never discovered if not for this game. That's what's like the most exciting, like discovering these amazing artists for the first time because of this game, you know, yeah. I don't know. How about, do you guys have any that come to mind? 
Yeah, I, I do have yeah. one. <laughs> um, we've been talking about, I think, maybe the same person, Rebecca Gway, who did a lot okay. of the early elves and fairies in Magic the Gathering. And yeah. her style just feels so, I mean, old school is watercolory and just, it's very beautiful, very flowy. And I would imagine it would be beautiful. I would love to see one of her artworks as a full art card on sorcery. I think mm. that would be really cool. But otherwise, I think you're absolutely right. Discovering new people, giving them a break, and just letting them see what they can do, that would be really cool to continue that journey. And also, I heard Eric say that he found some of the artists via, like, metal albums and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So <laughs> he's really, you know, he's not limiting himself. He's just going everywhere where the talent is. So I definitely, I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, the metal album cover artists are like, they come up with some striking stuff that looks amazing on a TCG card. So, yeah, like Dan Seagrave is absolutely amazing. Matthias Frisk is like another yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was thinking about Matthias. I think his yeah. artwork is it's really eye-catching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the Scourge Zombies and the, the, the um, uh, this one here. Minor, minor explosion. Yeah, exactly. That is already good. iconic yeah. in my mind. Yeah. It's really, you see it once and then you'll just recognize it. Yeah. Like he's, he does some absolutely amazing detail. Like I, when I saw that one in person, that was like, it blew me away. I was like, wow, this guy is so good. And he's like super humble too. And he's like, yeah, I don't really like sell paintings. So he goes to like some local shows and stuff. Um, but he's very casual about it, you know? And it's like, those are like the best types of artists, you know, they're just like very humble and just, they're just like tr truly love what they do. And that's why they're so masterful at it. Like when I interviewed Ed Beard, I was like blown away when he was talking about how he like studied anatomy, um, almost like a, like, um, like an actual scientist, you know, like all the detail and just pouring over hours and hours of like trying to draw like all the different elements of a dragon or like some kind of reptile or something. And then just keep practicing, 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 and then put away the reference image, try to do it from memory. And you kind of ingrain that skill in your mind. Like those are the people that are like truly all in on it and really hit the highest heights of their craft. Um, and I think there's some artists like that. And it's pretty unbelievable to see like people like Kyle Calazans, you know, the level of talent he has is such a young guy. Um, Mikhail Nagy Paul too is like a younger guy that's does like amazing stuff. Um, so they're just like at the early part of their careers. Imagine where they're going to be in like 10 or 20 years or Elvira, you know, she was doing altars and like really got extremely good on a small scale. And now she's doing some large paintings for Arthurian legends and those that's going to be next Ooh. level. You know, whenever you go to a larger scale, you get, you got to be damn good to make it like just come across right and get the detail, yeah. right. Um, find that balance of like detail versus finding like a central, um, composition that's going to work for the game. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. <clears throat> Absolutely. Especially if they're doing like art for the 10th or 15th or 20th sorcery set to see how far yeah. everybody's come mm -hmm. and what new talent is going to be brought in by that time. It's definitely mm -hmm. very, very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope they retain some of the early alpha ones and they are so far, you know, for the next, they're, they're, a lot of them are working on Arthurian legends and even the set after um, some like that were not like, I could kind of see why, cause they're like, I think initially I want to say Brian Smith was not working on Arthurian legends and you can kind of see why, like it's, he's got pretty like a, it's, very a different it's like the darkest artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And alpha, I would say with like the pudge butcher and, uh, just some of the more graphic, like hardcore, um, 
paintings. But if they're going to do a heaven and hell, angels and demons, something like that, he'd be a slam dunk for that. And Eric's mm -hmm. kind of mentioned that. He's like, yeah, I do intend to probably use most, if not all, of these artists again. But he's going to pair them to the set that makes sense, you know, if it's a thematic set. So, yeah, it'd just be great I to see what they makes, do. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Also mm -hmm. because, you know, if you're into the art, just, just you know, looking at all the cards and, and, and thinking, wow, this is great. And, oh, I like that card too and that card. And then you find out, wow, it's the same artist. And, and you just, you know, discover different artists and different styles that way. And, yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. I, mean, I hope they're keeping the same artists and using a lot of them so you so you have this you know this this flavor and 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 some consistency in the cards and how they look over time also yeah because they be they stick to their style you know but yeah. then i think a lot of them have like a pretty broad range of um ability too like when you look at mikhail nagy paul is the example that really comes to mind like because he's done he did like the towers you know mm. for the um atlas cards but he also did like all those frogs like he's got there's all this frog <laughs> art in the game he's done like rattlesnake like viper snake type things um so he's, he has like all these like atlas cards like sinkhole is another one it's like amazing landscape piece um and then he's got uh what else he, oh i got like my website up on the other screen but it's just like it's like amazing how everything is so different so like he's like yeah <laughs> these frogs the frogs are pretty funny um i don't know i don't know what it is with eric and frogs i've been trying to figure that out but uh <clears throat> yeah he's really great with like lighting and composition cloud spirit is another one that really stands out from him so he's got some like darker ones and some lighter ones but like some beautifully like when i think when we see those frog arts if they're still in there i think they are um those frogs like i typically could care less about a frog like that'd be the yeah. last thing i'd ask for someone to paint but like when you see it like it's absolutely like amazing it looks like so like realistic but with kind of like a fantasy twist and it's so like super vibrant too like melissa benson has that like really specific style where it's so colorful and and vibrant it really stands out like mikhail can pull that off masterfully as well um so it's really cool and then that makes him like diverse and able to adjust to future set themes in like a unique way where like you, you get excited and you're like oh, i wonder what he's going to come up with next that's the exciting part like i've been staring at this elf art for a year and a half now now i'm like chomping <laughs> at the bit to see ethereum legends but the yeah. average person isn't like us you know they're just discovering the game for the first time so they're going to enjoy alpha and beta for a long time so exactly. So what are your sort of plans for gameplay? Do you have a play group that you can just go, okay, guys, now we're playing sorcery? <laughs> uh, there are some local guys here that are, like, pretty active in my area. They're, like, the guys that are very active in the Discord and playing on Tabletop Simulator and these tournaments and things. Pure coincidence. I've, I've, I never knew who they were before. But that's also, like, I don't typically go to the LGS, you know, because I got my kids are too young mm, and they occupy, yeah. like, all my, like, normal daytime. I only have the time like late at night, early in the morning, and then casually throughout the day sometimes. Um, so <clears throat> playing is um, like a sacrifice I've had to make. <laughs> you know, I feel like I almost got to choose like to support like the community efforts I do, create the YouTube content, like coming up with creative ways to post something compelling on the Facebook group every day to try to grow that and keep people interested. That all takes a lot of time and thought. Um, so like, yeah, finding time to actually play is going to be a challenge. I hope to do it. Like, I do have those alpha pre-cons now, um, but I haven't, like, found the time to just sit down and, and give it a shot just yet. So I don't know. 
I, what I about don't your envision... wife? Could you get her to play? <laughs> yeah, I try, but it also is going to require like when the baby's napping, you know, yeah. there's like other like, <laughs> and then like I got a five-year-old boy that's like pretty wild and wants a lot of attention. Yep, we know. have three kids, three boys. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it can be difficult to sort of plan around that. But right. that's, it helps that we play together because then we can at the evenings just, you know, sit down and play some games. Yeah, and also yeah. they reached an age at the moment where they can actually start playing. So uh, so we're playing Magic now with the two elders, and <laughs> it's such fun. Uh, Great. Of course, they are still, you know, sore losers. And <laughs> a lot of games goes like, okay, I can see you're becoming sad now. Should we just stop the game? Or is it okay? No, we continue. <laughs> yeah, you want to let them win, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that helps a lot when they become of age. Then I imagine I would definitely play more. But like, it's something I want to do and make the time to do because it'll help in many ways to to like talk about the the product um, more completely. You know, in terms of the cards mechanic, if I'm or like even from like a selling perspective, like to yeah. really understand what are the best cards, like why like if the original painting comes along, why that's a particularly special piece because people put more stock into cards that are more meta relevant. Although, I mean, personally, when I buy like art pieces. I buy what resonates with me like personally. Mm. It's like, sure, it's an added bonus if it's like a super powerful card and we know that card's gonna have value. But even if it's like an ordinary rarity card, if the art speaks to me in some way, it's still super awesome to own and display. Like it feels good. It just it just is cool. Like, you know, it strikes a memory or some kind of connection that makes it makes it fun. So yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll get around to playing at some point. We'll see. <laughs> You have time. That's the good thing about once a year releases. Yeah. You have time to catch up and get some games in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and who knows? It, maybe the true sign that sorceries has, you know, really uh, gotten some attention and has survived is that when you're at your workspace, at, at, at one point maybe, I don't know, two colleagues are going to pull out their decks and just start playing sorcery on the... Mm. In the lunch or the, or the, the canteen or something. Yeah. That might be... Uh... <laughs> it, would, it would be cool to see it being played, you know, yeah. somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how do you feel about having, like, real-life people in cards? I don't know if you've seen it, but both MetaSue and Flesh and Blood have stuff done stuff with Rudy from Alpha Investments. So if you yeah. ever see, like, a, you know, a mic card in sort of... <laughs> Uh, they could do a collector art house card or something. I don't know, but like, <clears throat> that's where yeah, it's it, it a little weird to. to <laughs> it's a little weird to um, incorporate like a real life person. I think it's kind of it could be kind of polarizing, you know, because there's a lot of toxicity. You know, to be honest, like some people just don't like they find reasons to dislike people. You yeah. know, so it could be off putting to them. Like Rudy's like very polarizing. People absolutely He's love him, or they just character. like. Yeah, or they just hate him for some reason. Yeah. Um, so that could be a turnoff. Like, but he's a valuable partner, that's for sure, because he's got such a massive audience, and mm. he's charismatic and entertaining. You know, so um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that kind of uh, concept fits all that well with sorcery. I think they. It, it would it, to me. It would feel like they were straying from like the integrity of mm. just normal art. Like all these artists, they're not going to be chopping at the bit to go paint Rudy or you know in some goofy <laughs> pose. You know, like but these medicine promo idea. cards. <laughs> That's like an odd thing. Like, let them do what they what they're passionate about, and don't stray from that. Is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it would be great for this game. I think it, it can be fun and done as like a little side thing in the other games, but I feel like sorcery doesn't have that sort of vibe where that would fit into it. Yeah, even the one like of, of the game creator, like there's the Mike Waddell card, I think. There's also like a Richard Garfield card, and that's cool because he's such like an iconic kind of guy. But if they were to do like an Eric like card, it should be like a I don't I don't think they want to get into the business of doing a lot of promos either, too. You know, that wasn't like a big thing back in the day for magic. Um it's kind of like a modern I don't I don't want to say gimmick really, but promos can be kind of annoying too if if you flood the market with those and you gotta mm. go like it forces your hand to some specific buying behavior to get it from some particular retailer. I don't know. Then it's a bad feel for people like, you know, people in Europe right now. You're going to have mm. a hard time getting that Team Covenant card or the Rudy card. Or you're going to exactly. have to pay more, and, you know, because yeah, of that. And if you're and a big collector, fees. that's really annoying that you're not able yeah. to actually get your hand on. And especially because, I mean, Team Covenant getting that shipped to Europe would be really expensive. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to get it. Because you have to pay shipping, but also the import yeah. tax. And yeah, it would be, right. you know, it's just not feasible. Yeah. So I think they'll be discretionary on promos and deliberate about doing it when it makes sense. And it, it does make sense, I think, at this juncture, because um, maybe they were part of uh, partnership deals, like with Rudy, certainly. That's like a normal thing for Rudy, and that's a valuable partner um, to be promoting your yeah. game at release. So to give him a promo, I totally understand that. And Team Covenant has been a great uh, supporter from the get-go. And they showcase the game well, and they seem truly passionate about TCGs and stuff. So I think those both are totally understandable and good moves. Yeah. But if they start doing it with everybody, you know, it could get weird and it's too much. Or if they have, like, you have to go. I don't. I, it's a good way to support the LGSs in some way. Um, I, don't, I don't know how they might approach that. But if you have to, like, go show up at Gen Con or something in the U.S. to win a card, I'm glad. Like, it's kind of cool they're offering a painting. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty so. awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. But like if it was a special like a promo card where you had to show up at a certain convention to get the card, I don't think they should be doing things like that because not everyone has access. It's not practical, like with travel cost. And this is an international game already from the get the get go. Um, yeah, so exactly. that you know, that alienates people. Even the painting, some people are probably bummed out. They're like, oh, there's no way I can get to Gen Con, but I'd die yeah. for that. It's an Elvira painting. She's a big-time artist. Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a cool one. Um, yeah, what do you guys think of that as a reward? I thought it was kind of interesting. It's, like, true to, like, the game and that the, the art is so significant, but uh, to be a, a, a an award for, like, a player-based event, I thought, I don't know, I had mixed feelings on that. Like, because some players don't care as much about the art. Um, but then again, like how else would you award it to somebody? Like it's a game. <laughs> yeah. You should yeah. have to play to win it and crown of the victor is like the, a great choice, I think. I think it's very, you know, thematically fitting. I think it's really great yeah. in that way. But um and also I mean, as you said, being sorcery, I feel like it's a painting that's really fitting also. But I mean a player reward, maybe something else would have been more interesting. Maybe someone would have preferred a card. I don't know. But I think it's it's a very nice gesture from, from the yeah. company. Yeah, I think if that's if that gets um if there's some way to like prominently show that painting at the event and a lot of people see it and they're like, wow, this game's giving away a painting for like a tournament, that could be uh eye catching and a good good marketing approach. Yeah. And then Absolutely. people are like, Oh, that that game's using traditionally painted art i'm seeing it with my own eyes <laughs> you know yeah. and it's like oh let me go find out more about that so hopefully that that's really successful 
Yeah, and also being a maybe if you become a long time player, having some artists, you know, art on your wall, that must be absolutely great. Yeah. Hmm. How can I sign up? <laughs> yeah. How are we going to go to Gen Con without getting the kids along? That's that's going to yeah. be a difficult one. <laughs> yeah, owning a painting is is something really cool. Like, there's not a, a lot of games are digital, you know, so you don't even get that opportunity. Um, so it's different, you know. I was like other games. I I mean, how many games do you really have the opportunity to go after? I I wasn't buying original paintings for other games before sorcery really this is like the first opportunity in forever unless you want to go pay like pretty high prices typically for magic i mean it's getting expensive in sorcery too but it's early days and just feels different i don't know maybe yeah. just got more emotionally connected like i'd rather go buy a sorcery painting any day over a magic one i wouldn't even consider it um yeah exactly so. but i think that's also why it's really great that you're doing a lot of collaboration with the artists you know getting people to have the opportunity to get like those sample paintings or sample cards or just like the illustrations that are hand embellished i think that's really cool and it's definitely helping spreading the interest both of the art but also of the game so i think you're doing a huge task also with posting so frequently and really doing a lot for the community i think we're a lot of people behind sorcery who really appreciate that yeah thanks appreciate that comment yeah and some of the people that bought like the original paintings at the auctions are store owners so that's always oh, really that's exciting so when they're cool. like, oh, I own a comic store or I yeah. own an LGS and I'm going to hang this in the store, you know? So that's huge. Like the king of the realm, the guy that bought that owns a comic store in uh, New wow. York City. And then like another guy bought the minor explosion that I was showing. So I'm going to mail him that card from the Alpha Precons, but he's going to show that, uh, that painting's going to be hanging in his store and he's like a big magic store. So I'm like, nice, man. Like get that on up. <laughs> yeah. Show all the magic that's fans definitely gonna get some about the new in game there. in town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, the, yeah, the hand embellished prints and stuff—that's cool too. Because if the if a painting for like a few thousand dollars is is out of a price point, you get something else at a lower price point that's um, still like hand done by an artist, and it still feels special and unique. And it's you know they're only they don't do a lot of them. Like Severin, like I convinced her to do a series of ten on the initial Philo Stone, and she like even at that time she was like, ah, you know, this isn't like really my favorite thing to do because they want to create new pieces yeah. of work right it's and it's kind of redundant even though it's only 10 she had to hand paint that that stone 10 times um but the first one was like a success and i was kind of nervous on the first one i was like i don't i don't know that <laughs> something like this has really been attempted on this scale where like something was digitally removed and completely redone um at least i'm sure it has in magic and stuff but i don't see that frequently so it was a risk and i was like i hope this is successful because then maybe her and other artists will want to do this too and it was and now she agreed to do this newest set of 10 with a different concept and you know kayo had success with his rail drone dairy and a doomsday device and it's something that more people can afford because it's much less expensive than a original painting but it's still like really cool <laughs> you know and fun to own and display especially like for a collector absolutely someone someone like myself is into that but i think i love the idea of like a game player having this crossover concept that mirrors a game mechanic you know we covered absolutely. that earlier but i think that's like pretty unique and innovative that i really haven't seen in a game before have you guys seen something like that no not at all and i love the whole idea that is really riding on a mechanic that <laughs> and the whole idea also that it's just you know this really not very interesting animal and suddenly it's like an explosive device all on its own i think that's yeah. a really cool and fun concept yep and i think people like stuff like that it's really flavorful 
and I mean, also more readily available than the big paintings because they are expensive and should be expensive. It's a lot of yeah. work that goes it's into art, it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, someone's uh, yeah. someone's are you asking him. Because uh, somebody's uh, 40th birthday is coming up. So so you might. I might have to go Melissa find. Benson hand sketch. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. Thank Big you. Milestone. Yeah, yeah, someone's asking if Eric plans to keep the art physical going forward. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Mm. Someone asked that before in a Discord and he was like, Yeah. You know, I think he's I think well, someone was asking about NFTs specifically, and he was like, NFTs didn't exist in the nineties <laughs> was his <laughs> response. It was pretty funny. So yeah. he's trying to be true to that. You know, and even like I did that interview with Kyle recently and there was this amazing um the what they it was called like gamers uh gamers head or something like that. It was like one of the paintings I included in the article, even though it wasn't sorcery. Yeah. And it was like a beautiful, like really intricate uh, painting. It was awesome. And um, I just like shared it in the official Discord. And Eric like responded to it and chimed in. He was like, oh, I actually thought about licensing that one. But it had modern helicopters and ships, so I couldn't use it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so he's like, even though he loved the artwork, he's like so true to like that 90s era theme and committed to that, that he, he will forego something like that. And um, if the art doesn't come out right, he'll also insist that it does fit like properly. Like I was talking with um, Brian Smith a lot and he had to redo like a lot of his paintings because um, he, he was like one of these artists, he's never done a TCG before and he does, so he doesn't do sketches. Like he didn't really think to do that. He was like, oh, just, he, he's always just used to doing whatever he wants and he sells <laughs> his stuff on his own social media and he's been able to make a career of it. He has enough of a following where that's been successful for him. So like when he got all these commissions from Eric, he would just like paint the whole thing and be like, here you go, what do you think? And Eric would be like, yeah, I think it needs this or that, you know? So in some cases he could like modify it, but like paintings like high risk, you know, you can only do so much with layers and layers of paint to redo it. So some he had to like completely redo from scratch um, which was kind of funny. Like, I think, I don't think that's a common thing, but it does, it is true to like Eric's like purist, like and integrity <laughs> yeah. and like what he's going for. He'll stick to it no matter what. And I think that carries forward even in like the, the whole construct of sorcery with his business strategy, like the once per year release that's unconventional. A lot of people think that's a big roll of the dice, super risky, but it's what he wants to do. So it's what he's going to do, you know? Um, getting rid of the elemental avatars. He thinks that's the right play, so he's going to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how people respond. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I mean, I think that's kind of the great thing about having a big Kickstarter is also he has the means to do and really follow through on what his integrity is telling him. And hopefully we're all getting a better game out of it because it will be really, you know, in his vision and what he wants yeah. to do with the game that's going to be the driving force. So in that way, I think it's really nice that he has the opportunity to do that. Yeah, that's important. I think every like majorly successful, creative and innovative person is is like true to their own vision and they stick by it. They have conviction in their vision and that usually works out, you know. So yeah, we're getting yeah. some nice comments here. TCG family. Is that another uh, channel? I'm not familiar with that one as much. I've been seeing him pop up lately, him or her, I guess. <clears throat> Yeah, it's been fun reading all the comments and yeah, uh, yeah. thank you all guys. Uh, yeah, it's really great that you're being here and it was really cool that you decided to host everything and that we could yeah. make it work. Yeah, I said it to, re it says it's recording. I got this little icon on the right. So if you guys <laughs> absolutely feel free to post it on your channel and do whatever you want, I might convert it to a um, podcast if it, if it conveys well. 
hopefully my audio is better. I played with the settings this time. I had some challenges in the prior few, but yeah, this is a bit of a test run. I'm going to have like a booster box reveal, um, at some point. Ooh, and I think a lot exciting. of people, yeah, a lot of people are going to be doing recorded videos. That's like the norm typically, but I'm going to have like a big live event that I'm super excited about with, um, oh, we're definitely some... checking in on that. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. also like a point that I made in our last video was that I really hope it's also going to be a community thing that everybody's going to check in on each other, both content creators, players, everybody yeah. just see those boxes being opened. Let's see some art. Let's help each other out with the curios. I really think that would be a cool thing that we could get a tighter knit community out of it as a side mm -hmm. benefit of the curios. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the curios are going to be cool. They're going to see reveals of those and we're going to be leaning on each other to authenticate <laughs> that they're legitimate exactly. sorcery cards and asking the company like, is this an altar or uh, <laughs> what's the deal here? I don't know. We don't, we don't know what the curios are. So I'm super excited to, to hit one of those. I hope like in my first reveal video, I, mean, I plan on opening a bunch of boxes like over time, you know, maybe once a week or something like that or some cadence. Well, I'll play it by ear. But um, yeah, hopefully there's like some exciting hits. You know, there, there's going to be like a few foils in every box for sure. So any foil is going to feel super awesome. And then to see it in the full art version on the back, I'm going to exactly. be like I super excited about all those. But yeah, the curios, I, I can't idea. wait. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So thanks a lot for, for having us, Mike. It was wonderful yeah. talking talking with you and uh, hearing all about this great, great art. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I appreciate your time, too. We'll have to do it again sometime. Maybe um, after Alpha release, things will get interesting and, and different fast, I'm sure. <laughs> I think so. so. Definitely. And thank you to right. everybody watching. It's been really great. Yes, thanks, everybody. Again, take care. I'll see you. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.